Rabbi Nachal Meth with the Las Vegas Kolel. The American pistachio industry, it's enormous. This year alone, farmers are expected to grow more than 900 million pounds of pistachios. Sales this year are expected to top $3.5 billion just this year. The American pistachio industry is not that old. As a matter of fact, the first commercial production of pistachio nuts wasn't until 1976. Pistachios are really difficult to grow. They require a desert climate that's not too hot in the summer, but not too cold in the winter. The salinity of the soil, it has to be just right. They require a precise amount of moisture. And they take years to grow before they even bear their first fruit. Pistachios are indigenous to the Middle East. And in 1929, a fellow named William Whitehouse, he spent several months collecting seeds in Iran. And he brought back to the United States more than 30 pounds worth of seeds. And his plan was to grow them to see which seed, which type of pistachio could he successfully grow in the United States. And he would spend the next several months planting them out in California. There's a remarkable story in the beginning of the book of Shoftim, in the beginning of the book of Judges. We learned that not, not 40 years after the death of Joshua, the Jewish people, they began to sin began serving and worshiping idols. They really abandoned their Judaism. And God sent the kingdom of Moab and their king Eglon to persecute the Jews as a way of reminding them that they need to wake up. They need to become much more committed to their Judaism. And Eglon and the Moabites, they began to, per to persecute the Jews. King Eglon, he forms alliances with other enemies of the Jewish people, the kingdom of Amalek, the kingdom of Ammon, and the Jews find themselves isolated. God sends a shofate, a judge, a leader for the Jewish people to galvanize the Jewish people militarily and spiritually. His name was Ehud. And the verse tells us that Ehud, he went to meet King Eglon and he approaches Eglon's palace. And he tells a message to Eglon. He says, I've got a very important message for you, but it's a secret. I can't tell it to you unless everyone in the room leaves. King Eglon goes ahead and he says, no problem. And he tells all of his bodyguards, please leave my chambers. And the verse tells us in chapter 3, verse 21, the verse says, Vayomer Ehud, Ehud speaks to Eglon in a private setting. And he says, Devar Elohim li Elecha. I've got the word of God for you. I have a message that God told me to tell you. And the verse says, Eglon got up from his throne. Now, the verse tells us Eglon was a very, very obese man. And for him to rise wasn't so simple. But he rose nonetheless. Eglon rises when he hears that he has a message from God as a way of showing honor and respect for the word of God. The verse continues to tell us that Ehud then goes and he takes a, a, his sword out and he stabs Eglon right in the stomach and he assassinates him. And this would be the beginning of the freedom for the Jewish people from the Moabites' dominion. And the Jews, the Jews would have their independence for many, many years. And this was kind of the triggering event of the Jewish freedom for the next several decades. What's remarkable is that the Medrash tells us, isn't it interesting, when Ehud tells King Eglon, who wasn't a particularly pious man, Eglon was not known for his religious connection. He was not known as a godly individual. 
But when Ehud says, I've got the word of God, Eglon takes a moment and he stands up. And Rashi quotes the Medrash that tells us that in the merit of Eglon rising, when he hears that the word of God is about to be delivered, Rus, Rus, who is, according to some, was his own daughter, Rus would go on to become that great princess amongst the Jews. Eglon's own daughter, Rus, would go ahead and convert, become Jewish, and become the great-grandmother of King David and the entire Jewish dynasty of the monarchy. All because Eglon did one mitzvah. He stood up when he was told that there's a message of God awaiting him. Think about that for a second. As far as we know, Eglon was a terrible person. He had no religious connection. He was not a godly person. He probably did not do very many mitzvahs in his life. Yet the Medrash tells us, because he did one good deed in his life, he did one mitzvah, he rose when someone told him, I've got the word of God for you. Because Eglon does one mitzvah, he ends up, if you think about it, being the great-great-grandfather of King David and the eventual great-great-grandfather of the Mashiach, of the Messiah, and the entire Jewish Davidic dynasty, all because he did one mitzvah. It's such a remarkable insight. You see, so often we dismiss a mitzvah. I did a good deed. I did one mitzvah. What's the big deal? You see from this medrash, there's no such thing as doing one small mitzvah. Just one mitzvah. Eglon does one good deed in his life, and look at the reward. Look what ends up happening. The Medrash tells us because he stood up because Ehud said, I've got the word of God. Eglon does one mitzvah in his lifetime, and he merits to have King David come from him. It's such a remarkable illustration of the power of a singular mitzvah. Never under underestimate the power of one deed. It's so easy to dismiss and say, yeah, what's the big deal? We should never sell ourselves short. One mitzvah, one deed, one action can have massive impacts on the future generations. We should always recognize that when we're doing a mitzvah, when we're engaging in good behavior, when we're doing the right thing, to recognize it might seem inconsequential, it might not be a big deal in our own minds, but recognize it's huge. There's nothing called a small mitzvah. Our actions can blossom in a few generations beyond our wildest imagination. Remember William Whitehouse? Imagine if you would have stopped him one moment as he's planting pistachio seed after pistachio seed. And imagine you stopped him as he put one of those seeds into the ground. You say, Mr. Whitehouse, I want you to know that seed that you just put into the ground, that one seed just there, I want you to know from that seed, the entire United States pistachio industry, it's going to blossom from that one seed that you just put in the ground. I imagine if you would have had that conversation with William Whitehouse in 1929, he would have said, come on, what are you talking about? But the truth of the matter is, you would be absolutely right. You see, the pistachio industry, the multi-billion dollar annual industry here in the United States today, it's all traceable to one seed. All of those 30 pounds of seeds that White House planted, none of them were successful. None of them grew except for one. And from that one plant, from that one seed, it grew pistachios. And from that pistachio tree, they continued to plant more pistachio seeds. Fast forward 
a hundred years, not even, and you have a multi-billion dollar industry all from one seed that was planted. It's such a powerful illustration. The actions that we do, one mitzvah, one seed, one good deed, you let that thing bake just a little bit and we can't even begin to imagine the ramifications that it might have in the future. Let's remind ourselves next time we're thinking about doing a mitzvah, next time we're thinking about doing a good deed, don't sell ourselves short. Recognize that our actions, the things that we do in a few years, it could end up being a multi-billion dollar industry. The one mitzvah that I do, maybe because of that, you'll merit to have the entire Jewish kingdom emerge from you because of the one action that you did. Never sell ourselves short. The power of a mitzvah, the power of a pistachio seed.